The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Now it's time to talk about money shots. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast. Presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined, as always, by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Howdy. Yeah. And for music video sins, Barrett Share. Hello. What wow, are you a Muppet now? I, that was that was an inward hello. <laughs> Hang on, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an inward hello. Oh, you sucked the air see. in. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I wanted to like see a... if I could sound like Lupita Nyong'o from uh, Us. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you sound like you sound like a, a creature from Princess Bride or something like that. Comes out of Don't even think about. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't even think about escape um uh so uh we wanted to talk a little bit about our sun club right off the bat and and uh then we'll get into the show right mm. yeah mm. the sin club has only gotten better and better and i mean that in terms of the community um there are perks with being in the sin club like you get all our content early and there are three tiers where you can you know get some bonus videos and audio every month and whatnot uh, but th- there's also the discord where you can tag yourself as a member of the of the sin club um and there's a special channel just just for you and we just did our digital sin week a couple weeks ago uh, where a lot of these people were watching live and interacting and chatting with us and with each other and creating in- inside jokes on the fly. Um, and it's just really fucking awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, I- I'm really grateful to everybody who's a part of that and to everybody who's not. You're missing out, fool! <laughs> <laughs> what, what I think is is my favorite part, one of my favorite parts, I love doing the extra podcast and everything, but the what we call the sinmentary stuff mm-hmm. is really fun where, you know, the, the people that were involved with the, a cinema sense video, uh, we'll, we'll watch it all together and we'll comment. We're seeing this sometimes for the first time in years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, Holy shit. Why did we do that? And, uh, you know, jog some memories. That's fun. And that's only available, uh, in the sin club. Uh, I think I think uh, the the cemeteries have been have become a, a new favorite uh, thing. Uh, it's definitely a a thing that I enjoy doing. Going back and and then and then a lot of times it's uh, time has passed where you're just like I don't remember if I was the one who wrote that or if the other person wrote that. Ninety percent mm. of the time, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean sometimes there are some trademarks that give it away, but like. You know, it's like, oh, wow, it's we've really gotten to that point, right? Where we don't even know who, which person wrote what and everything. So, um, if it's a candling sin, we know who that was. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Or a lamp sin. A lamp sin will be Jeremy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, um, uh, 
uh, it's uh, it's exciting to be able to give these uh, little extra extra videos and podcasts and everything to everybody. Those are always a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is uh, go to patreon.com slash cinema sense, sign up for any tier. Uh, it will fully explain, you know, which tier involves what and all those perks and everything. But we just kind of want uh, you guys to get into our community so we can interact more often and uh, have a blast all together. So patreon.com slash cinema sins. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there at the top of the show in case you are on the fence. Now's the time, baby. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get, uh, oh, oh, by the way, you can get access to all of the Sin Club members only uh, videos, Cinema Sins videos that we did uh, for Sin Week, which include The Devil's Advocate, Dark City, and Bad Times at the L fucking royale yeah, we are mm-hmm. backwards compatible here so if you have never been a sin club member and you sign up today you will get access to all previous exclusive stuff for your tier whether it's videos or audio or what have you uh so uh and there's a lot there now i think mm-hmm. aaron said there's like 75 pieces of patreon only content that you get access to at this point um, 75 so, pieces of flair there you go mm-hmm. you're missing out That's fool right. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, well, enough of all that positivity. Does anybody have anything that they're pissed off about? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Oh, uh, man, I think we are all three uh, going to hit some some shots. With this I'll go ahead and kick us off. I'll kick us off. Um, I think we may have talked about this earlier in the week or last week or something like that somewhere. Or I'm just misremembering, and I talked to a completely different set of people about this very thing. And no, it was I us. Just, I just pasted your heads over the other people <laughs> in my memory. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, you know when you ever want to watch a movie and you're like, well, I have all these streaming services, I would like to know where I could find this movie, perhaps for free. I don't care about paying or renting it, paying for the rental or whatever, but I would like to know if it is available to me for free, I will, I will go to that streaming service and watch it. So Google has a thing where if you Google the movie, it says watch options and you Mm -hmm. go under the watch options and it shows you all the places that you can go watch this movie Usually there's a rental involved and that's totally fine. But then there's other ones where it'll say free with subscription to prime. And you're like, yeah, I've got prime. Let's go to fucking prime, man. This is going to be great. I can, I can just right off a of prime. I can watch this shit, but there's also an uglier thing. Uh, no, it's not an uglier thing. It's just, <laughs> the thing is, is that it'll say, uh, prime with subscription and and usually now we know now that we, we know that's code for oh there's some other streaming service that you can get through prime i mean you can get it on its own too if you want to mm-hmm. but you can get it through prime if you want to um if you want to watch this movie so like a lot of times you're like oh yay it's on prime and you go straight to prime and it's like Oh, do you want to start your seven day trial of Shudder, or do you want to start your seven day trial of uh, Voodoo, or seven day trial? You know, there's all these different places, um, and uh, and and sometimes you'll actually have some of these streaming services, and it's totally fine and everything. But man, uh, I want to know right off the bat when I put in the movie, 
the watch options. You tell me if it's prime, tell me if it's, there's a, there's a subheading under that right off the bat. I don't want to be excitedly going to my app and opening up. This is tell you what, this is not hard shit that I'm talking about here. <laughs> it, there's, this doesn't, I just would like to know before I go through all of this menus and searches and all this other stuff. Hey, can I watch this movie now or not? Or do I, are you going to try to sell me some other service that, you know, uh, at the same time? Uh, so it's not a big deal. Uh, I mean, it used to be, you couldn't find where anything was on anything, uh, at one point it, you, you Googled it and it never told you if it was on Netflix or if it was on Hulu or anything like that, you had to go to each an individual, one of those streaming services and search each one but of if those, you're gonna if, you if you're gonna have on google if you're gonna have that option if you're gonna have that feature that says where to watch then fucking have it come correct man mm-hmm. amazon has now co-opted all these different you know tubi mooby uh voodie and tootie and uh wheezy <laughs> Uh, yeah, that yeah. Uh, that it, it's coalesced into that one. No, I want to see if it's just on movie. Uh, yeah, I want to yeah. see if it's just on uh, Wheezy or whatever it is. Yeah, um, tell me it's uh, it, tell me where it is available for quote unquote free. Yeah, where you're probably paying a monthly subscription to have that thing for free. But at least tell me right then and there. Here are the free options. This is what's the streaming services that you can go sh- directly to this movie and watch it. And then here's the other ones that you're going to have to pay, or you're going to have to get a, you know, you're going to have to get a subscription through this service to get to there and everything. And they don't tell you that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times I'm sure that this works. I am sure that this works. People get really excited about watching a movie and they're like, Holy shit, it's on prime. And they go and they're like, Oh, seven day free trial to whatever. And they do the seven day free trial. And then they go ahead and get that service. So mm-hmm. there's a reason they're doing this, but yeah, come on, come on. Can you, can you, can <laughs> you not, on. can you not be pushing <laughs> shit all the time? Just, just, you know, eh, just, Hey, uh, come on. Hey. Can, can give us the information we need. Is all I'm asking. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, I think Barrett has a, 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 a socially conscious, um, uh, rant. So I will give you my uh, <clears throat> typical Jeremy nitpicking rant. Mm. And this has to do with website uh, user interface, specifically with regard to vaccines. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm sure um, everybody has encountered their own vaccine anxiety in terms of, you know, when can I qualify? When can I actually sign up? And, uh, I think about a week ago, I went through my county's website. It was a very simple process, um, and I secured an appointment for a Pfizer first dose vaccine for sometime uh, next week. Uh, and it had like a QR code that it emailed me automatically that I show them when I get there. And you know, it was like smooth as butter. Yesterday, I woke up and the news had broken that the entire state had gone eligible 16 and up Um we had been previously, every county was setting their own parameters on, on when the next phase would come in. And so I thought, hey, now I can start looking at neighboring counties and not just my own, and I won't feel like a dickhead for scheduling an <laughs> appointment. Um, <clears throat> and so I began what what was about an hour's worth of work and frustration. Now, there's a website called vaccinefinder.org. 
that's very helpful. Um, and you can even filter those results um, uh, by how many miles away from you, uh, by which vaccine you're looking for. Um, mm. And so I kept looking at that, and most of the results turning up were Kroger, Publix, Walmart, and Walgreens. Well, first of all, Publix, every time I've ever looked at this website, shows is out of stock. Um, and I don't understand why, because Walmart and Kroger always show in stock. And I don't know. Unless you're in Florida. Unless you're in Florida. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I am at this point thinking maybe I can get a sooner appointment, but also maybe I can get the Johnson & Johnson, which is one shot. And I wouldn't have to wait three and a half weeks and get a second shot and wait two more weeks. Because um, my wife is fully vaccinated and we're anxious to start living our lives somewhat. So you click through, go to Kroger, and... <clears throat> There are a few frustrating things about this. The first thing Kroger's website asks you to do is pick your state. And you have to scroll down. They have, they have little icons uh, for every state. There's fucking 50 of them. So for Tennessee, I have to scroll quite a ways. This is not an intuitive web design, by the way. Just give me a drop down. Um, so I scroll all the way down and I click Tennessee. And then I get to this next page and a bot comes up. And the bot says, I need to make sure you're eligible. And I'm like, all right. And so it says... Uh, what state do you live in? And I'm like, I just fucking clicked this. You know this. You just your your web design is so terrible. You're making me do it again. So I go through. I say Tennessee, and then it asks me if I've had any vaccines, if I've experienced any symptoms, if I've tested positive for COVID, if uh, well, it's my birthday, and then even though. No matter what you say at this point, this thing's saying, you're eligible. Click this button. So you click through, and now you're looking at Kroger's version of Vaccine Finder. And it lists, you know, nearest to farthest away from you. And most of them say, no appointments available. No appointments available. No appointments available. And then you find one that's like an hour away out in the county, and it has available appointments. And you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to click that shit. And you click it, and you, you schedule it, and it's you filtered by Johnson & Johnson to even get to this point. And then after you schedule, it says, now schedule your second dose. And I'm like, <laughs> do you know wh what I picked? So I call the pharmacy, and Kroger has no way to give you any information about which vaccine you'll actually get. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't book that. So I hit the back button, hoping to change my parameters with oh, the Kroger no. thing, and now oh, I have no. to scroll down and pick the picture of Tennessee again. I start the whole thing. Oh, yeah. So oh. I get mad. I go back to Vaccine Finder, and I'm like, no, I'm going to try Walgreens, you dicks. So <laughs> I click through, and it says, please register for a Walgreens.com account. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I am never going to use that. Yeah. If Kroger lets me <laughs> sign up as a citizen, and my fucking health department in the county lets me sign up without a fucking website account walgreens can eat my ass to so i go like, back out just to sound like starship I the walmart one. yeah i clicked the walmart one please sign up for a walmart.com account to continue and book your vaccine Jesus. and i'm like hey, goddamn motherfucker so i want the vaccine bad enough i ended up signing up for a walgreens account and a walmart account <laughs> and they do the same thing trying to schedule me a second dose when I'm trying to get the Johnson and Johnson and it's just fucked, man. I realize, I realize the pandemic is, you know, in the scale of human history, relatively a new thing. And, you know, 
some of this stuff was thrown together. But if my county health department can put together a website that flows fine and doesn't have any of these hiccups and works perfectly, it worked twice for my wife, it worked for me when I scheduled my initial dose, I don't understand why Kroger, the largest the, the largest fucking grocery company in America can't get their website shit together so that people can know what kind of vaccine they're, they're getting, not schedule a second dose if they don't need it, and not have to tell them what state I live in twice. God damn it. That is the mm-hmm. most infuriating thing of all. <sighs> Woosah. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hey, uh, after okay, so after you get the vaccine, you still have to wear a mask. Uh, or you you still choose to wear a mask. You going to bring back the beard? Oh, maybe. The only reason I haven't been growing any kind of beard is 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 just that that I know that it's it makes my mask a little less effective. Um and not the kind of beard that you're rocking, but the kind of beard I would rock would make that mask. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, you go the you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see one of these ZZ Top motherfuckers in the grocery store with a mask that just covers his lips, I'm like, what are we even doing here, man? <laughs> How did we come to this? I, I tell you what, man. Well, first of all, it will be nice. We're we're actually getting to the point where we can start thinking about the three of us getting in the studio again, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a lot of fun. Um and second off, it, it would be nice for to go to a fucking movie theater again, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, went, I went by because my wife uh, got her vaccine right next to 100 or right in 100 Oaks. So it was right by the Hollywood 27. And I drove past that thing. And this was a few weeks ago. I think they've opened since. But it was so depressing. I was like, that was the last time I went to a movie and it looked like a fucking ghost town, like mm-hmm. from a horror movie or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I kind of want to go there and get some shitty popcorn and watch a dead shot or whatever the fuck it is. Blood, blood spur. Blood shot. Mm-hmm. Blood, blood spot. Mm-hmm. Blood shot. Uh, I'm going to get mine out of the way quick because it's a comedy podcast and <laughs> I don't want to, uh, you know, bum everybody out. Allegedly. So this, allegedly yeah, a comedy Allegedly. Pod. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I've been uh, driven crazy about this recently. Uh, we collectively, and me personally, of course, have always supported Black Lives Matter uh, movements of LGBTQ uh, folks, underrepresented minorities uh, in the U.S. Uh, the, the, the hashtag Stop Asian Hate uh, was trending fairly recently. Uh, and and has kind of bubbled up on the surface uh, frequently, which is great that there's a hashtag out there. And it's great that people are uh, sharing awareness for it, but it's precipitated by these fucking cowards doing violent acts against Asian American or Asian people living in America. Uh, this is fucking ridiculous. Um, we, we all know what the uptick, well... We're pretty sure what the uptick is due to, at least in large part, um, blaming uh, a certain population for the proliferation uh, and spread of uh, the COVID-19 virus. And it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, First of all, you fucking morons. By the way, if I piss anybody off talking about this, fuck you and fuck (laughs) off and go fuck yourself. Um, these fucking morons. Yeah, the (laughs) listeners, uh, the racist (laughs) listeners. What are we going to do about them? Uh, These fucking morons are attacking anyone that quote looks Asian. 
I got news for you, genius. There are a lot of countries in Asia. And even if somebody looks Chinese, they could be Korean, they could be Japanese, they could be Indonesian, they could be Thai, they could be from Hong Kong. I know people from all over uh, East Asia uh, that had nothing to do with the spread of the fucking virus. Uh, so you fucking cock fucks can just fucking just cool your jets and go fucking jump in a lake or something uh, <laughs> other than attacking uh, grandmothers. You know, we had the incident in New York fairly recently where somebody just abused a, uh, a an elderly Asian woman uh, on the street in full view of God and everybody. Uh, the Obviously, the attack in Atlanta, uh, which left uh, eight people dead, nine people dead, uh, six of which were uh, Asian women. Uh, the attack in San Francisco, there's attacks all fucking over the place. And what are you trying to do, you fuck nuts? What are you trying to do? Uh, are we sending a message to anybody besides that you're a fucking cock? No. So this whole stop Asian hate hashtag is fantastic. And I hope it's mobilizing an effort much like Black Lives Matter did. Uh, but I, I, for some reason, this this hit me, especially after the Atlanta attacks, just hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And and to be honest with you, I, I'm I'm a moron uh, because you you realize the plight of African Americans and other minorities in this country, but nobody up until now had talked about uh, in large swaths of the plight of underrepresented Asian folks. Um, and now that that's come to the forefront, I'm glad we're having these conversations. But you know, it, it's not like America has had a really good track record. Uh, welcoming Asian uh, folks uh, or people of Asian descent uh, over the years. So I, I fully, fully, fully support any uh, of our Asian American brethren and sistren. I don't know how to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, folks of Asian descent, uh, you are, uh, we are with you and we are a community and anybody that wants to fuck with you, tell them to come over to my house and I will kick them in the nuts for you. <laughs> it feels to me like the racists in this country have gotten to a point where the only thing that really scares them is having to admit they're racist. And mm. as long as they're not, as long as they don't admit it, literally anything else can be explained away through lies and misdirection. Um, like I saw a story about one of the Tap Tampa Bay Buccaneers tweeting about uh, he used an, an anti-Asian slur, too mm -hmm. many X in Miami. And when he was called on it, he went to the Urban Dictionary and found like the fifth definition down that said uh, a term some, some people in Florida use to refer to poor people or something. There you go. There you go. And it's just, you know, as long as you can explain it away, well, I didn't, I'm sure the person that attacked that woman in New York is going to say, I didn't attack her because she was Asian. I just attacked her because she, whatever, come up with some other excuse, some other. And so I'm just seeing more and more emboldened racism um, hiding behind this tiny little toothpick of having to admit you're racist. <laughs> Otherwise, it's starting to feel like they can get away with all of it, uh, not the mm -hmm. violence, obviously, they get arrested for that kind of thing. But in terms of just casual racism, like fucking Mike Huckabee tweeting about 
identifying as Chinese. Well, he's offending two different groups um, and being blatantly racist, but but waving that definition away by by saying, well, no, the virus started in China, and that's that's it. That's the defense, and the media is just like, well, I guess we'll buy that and move on to the next story, and it's yeah. infuriating. But um, yeah, I agree with Barrett. If you're offended by that particular rant, um, we don't need you. Yeah, Mike Huckabee thinking he's funny is 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 a travesty, right? Like, God, and yes. and having like and like having ten thousand people, ten thousand people liking what yeah. he says, and and you just like. Do you guys know how jokes work? Because that is not how they work. <laughs> it's the Seinfeld of like, so this offends you as a Jewish person. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, it offends me as a comedian. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we uh, we talked to um, a director. His name's Joe Sell. Uh, when uh, uh, the movie Phobias, I don't, I think Phobias is out uh, now, but. Um, but uh, Joe Sell in his segment in Phobias had a had a moment in his movie. Now he shot this a year or so ago, um, uh, where a, an Asian American goes into a uh, store and there's a bunch of dudes in there that just attack him for being Asian. And at the time that we went to go interview Joe Sill, I think it was just this hashtag had just like maybe started getting into the consciousness. I don't think I had quite gotten into my consciousness yet, but I asked him the question, you know, is this something that's common? And then I said, ah, it's probably a dumb question. And he goes, no, it's not a dumb question at all. He's like, this, yeah, this is the type of thing that happens all the time. And I'm only half Asian and I get it. So like, mm. you know. So yeah, I mean exactly. I mean if you're if you're gonna be offended by Barrett Barrett's rant or anything where we where we're like Black Lives Matter or anything else that we champion, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Not sorry. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <clears throat> now it's time to talk about money shots. <laughs> 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 excellent segue excellent yes segue. exactly our main topic today is to talk about uh moments in movies where uh the director has well how do we say this in a way that's not like dirty because we don't mean it dirty i don't no. think we're not talking right. about sex scenes, literally. And I, right. I will fall on my sword as the guy who came up with the name Money Shots uh, for mm. this segment. Mm. We do a segment recurring uh, called The Heart of the Movie, where we try and pinpoint from our perspective a scene in a film that really makes the movie what it is. Uh, or you could say a scene that if you took it out, the movie wouldn't work the same way. Uh, what is the beating heart of that movie? This is a different question. This is a, the, a scene in the movie where the production the directors, the money people, they all just went, oh, and they got their rocks off and they <laughs> went for it. That's and right. again, <laughs> cinematically speaking, they got their rocks off. So as an example, I, I would say um, the, the Godzilla uh, 2015, where he rips open the other kaiju's mouth and shoots fucking fire down his throat <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is a good example of this money shot kind of scene in a movie and if i were to pick the heart of that movie honestly 
that would be hard because that movie doesn't have a lot, but it would probably be something with Brian Cranston and Aaron Taylor Johnson or Aaron Taylor Johnson and that little kid on the tram or something like that would be more what makes the movie have heart or what have you. Um, and so that's sort of my definition of where we're coming from. Um, if any of us have on our list literal money shots, then we have not done our job correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Hang on. All right. I well, knew it would be I'll you. recuse myself. I mean, in some cases, somebody may have came a little, but like, no, it's not really anything to do with sex at all. Just a drip. Just, that's right. Just well, the scene where they just, they really went for it, where you're watching the movie and you're just like, ah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, I exactly. love those moments, by the way. Those are yeah. so great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, I wrote uh, one of the ones that uh, came to me. Huh, came to me one of the first ones was mad max fury road sandstorm scene yep 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 uh, yep that's the uh, very definition of this yeah um t- imagine you know t- telling the studio you're gonna do a scene like this whereas you know there's all these insane uh characters riding along in these vehicles through a sandstorm and and then you're gonna have one of the characters at the end of it look at the sandstorm and go, what a day, what a lovely day. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 we've mentioned this m- several times on this podcast about how Jeremy and I watched this movie at uh, what was originally called the Groundman's Chinese theater in LA. And that scene, I don't, I, I swear I must've not been breathing during that sandstorm scene <laughs> because once it was finally over and they finally, everything, the dust actually settles and everything, you could hear the auditorium just kind of <sighs> like, you know, and, and, and I was, this, I was like, Oh, have I not had oxygen into my body in a long time? <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and it's, it's just that type of scene. And I, and, and the you know it's one of those things just bursting with colors and action and just you know uh, a shout it's 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 uh, it's George Miller's yawp into the world that sandstorm Ooh, scene that's the best definition of money shots right there this is the film's yawp yeah <laughs> I sound my barbaric yawp yawp <laughs> yawp um the movie Heat Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. Um, De Niro and Pacino finally together uh, before Righteous Kill would ruin that pairing. Um, <laughs> yes, it would. Now, there are a lot of cool scenes in Heat. Um, the the safe heist that they stop halfway through when they hear the truck noise mm-hmm. is some of the best ten- tension building uh, you'll see. Uh, the opening heist is rad. Uh, there's just a lot of cool shit in Heat. And I would say the heart of the movie... Again, we're not doing that, but would be that sit down with Pacino and De Niro at the, mm-hmm. the restaurant. Um, but the money shot for me is that is the post bank job street shootout that runs for several blocks, has several characters with automatic weapons, uh, has a lot to keep track of. And mm-hmm. not only does it keep track of it without you losing any real perspective, it's tense as fuck. Uh, and I really feel like when they were storyboarding that, I feel like this is one of those scenes where one of the producers almost certainly said, can we do this? This seems like too big an undertaking. Can we really accomplish this? Um, and it's just a, a masterwork in uh, how to stage, shoot, and edit uh, a large-scale action scene like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it's it's the money shot of that movie, even though everything around it is also great. Yeah. Isn't that uh, the fuse lit by Val Kilmer just deciding I'm going to fucking open fire on these motherfuckers? He sees the cops. Uh, he's coming out to the car with his cash bag and his rifle, and he sees the cops like on the other side of the street, like down hunkering down. And yes, he does just open fire. All of a that's, he just pulls out the. Like, but I, my <laughs> guess would be that's that's that crew's mo. Like that's what he's supposed to do. I don't ever get the I don't sense think that even like that's an eyelash or like frowns or anything. He just literally like mechanically. He does. The only time the only time at any point in Heat that that crew makes any mistakes is De Niro going back to get Wayne Grow. Yep. Yeah. They yeah. everything that they do in this is absolutely professional as fuck. Like the yep. just hearing just that noise in the truck, they're like, "I'm not going to sit around and figure out what that is. Let's just go." Just get, yeah. And they, and, yeah, yeah. And, and they set the rules early on in that movie. Don't go into anything that you can't run away from. Yep. Um, and don't get involved in any relationship. Like, don't get involved in relationships you can't run away from. Like, Val Kilmer's coming back to his wife, who's got his kid and everything, and like. She gives him the little, you know, don't come up here, move from the balcony. And he's willing to let that go and just run away. That's how professional he is. So, yeah, the shooting, uh, him shooting is definitely like something that he has to do in that situation. Yeah. 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 It's so good. It's so good. Uh, my my first one is going to be not the the very end, but the end sequence of Annihilation. Um, oh alex garland's 2018 movie uh yeah say what you want about this movie overall because it is a little bit confusing it is a little bit um certainly allegorical uh and it and it's it it goes its own way right and and some sometimes it's not always you know what people want but uh talk about going for it man alex garland felt like you know what Fuck it. I'm going to throw everything I can at this ending when it comes to music, when it comes to disorientation, when it comes to uh, special effects, uh, when it comes to narrative. Uh, He just said, fuck it. Because up until then, like there's a slow building tension and you can make, you know, you know, connections between cancer and between this and that. And you're like, oh, I'm into this story. Oh, yeah, Demon Bear. Okay, now I'm back into the story. Oh, yeah, Tessa Thompson is a plant. Okay, now I'm back into the story. <laughs> but then but then she goes in the lighthouse and meets with uh, 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 Jennifer Jason Leigh. And it's a nice conversation between the two of them. It's a, it's a little ethereal. It's a little existential. And then shit goes sideways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk about, like, gripping your seat. I was just like... I don't even know what I'm watching right now, but the fact that there's this some sort of sentient being that is now copying Natalie Portman's movements and it looks like a psyched out fucking like psychedelic Pink Floyd uh, uh, holograph or something. It is so awesome. And that music is so crazy. I absolutely adore it. And I think that's where Alex Garland just said, this is going to happen, bitches, mm-hmm. and put it up there, and it looks marvelous. I that is guarantee you, there's a studio or a producer person that said the same thing about the end of this that I was talking about with Heat. Like, is this? Does this make any sense? Should we really do this? Should we let him do this? Because I don't think anyone's going to know 
what conclusions to draw from the movie if it ends like this. And you're right. I think he was, I think he had just enough clout after uh, Ex Machina and then turning around Dread the way he did that he was able to hold his ground and say, this is, this is what the whole movie is about. really, Mm -hmm. Um, And it works. I remember I saw this with my brother and it was right before uh, he guested on our podcast. And he and I both talked about how after it was done, we were like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then it just stayed with us. And the next morning we were like, I'm pretty sure I fucking love that. Um, (laughs) And you're right. It's it's the quintessential kind of scene for what we're trying to do here with the segment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to guess I was actually, when I started, started doing this, uh, I was like, I bet Tarantino's got one of these in every single movie he's ever made. Mm. But, uh, I started with death proof because death proof mm. has a scene that I, I, I love the rhythms of it. It's, it's right after Kurt Russell, uh, runs them off the road and Zoe Bell gets, gets thrown off the car and goes into that like wheat field or weeds or whatever the hell it is. And they think she's dead and she's like, I'm okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Zoe Bell comes over to the car and, uh, and, uh, he's like, so you want to go after him? And, uh, and they're all like, Oh hell yeah. And there's this music that's like, dum, 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 dum. And, uh, so right after this whole last 15 minutes of it is pretty much a money shot on its own. Uh, Tracy Toms gets behind the wheel and they chase down Kurt Russell and then they start running into him and start trying to rock, knock him off the road and actually making him scared shitless. But what the real money shot might be is when they do get him out of his car and they all kick the shit out of him. Like, roundhouses and fucking every, everywhere on his body gets a fucking foot to it. Um, and, and, and the way he, the way it's edited, like where it's like he gets punched and the, and the, and the, uh, can't, you know, it, the, it's, or there's a freeze frame and the sound all like cuts out at the same time where it's like, pew, pew, you know, and all this other stuff, uh, there, he is really getting his ass kicked. Um, so, that's one of the one of the I think that part in Death Proof is is I, I I could I could run that last fifteen minutes of that movie on repeat. Uh it's it's so good. It's so well done. Uh so uh there you go. Stuntman Mike is a dick. Mm-hmm. I mean he's he's not like he's just absolutely dick through and through. Like uh, there's there's no compassion for him. I don't have any compassion well, for him. Well, he's a criminal. He's a criminal dick. Well, obviously, obviously, and mm-hmm. and he's just he's just fucking with these girls before he knows he's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, when you get the comeuppance at the end, it's so satisfying. It's mm-hmm. and it, I I don't get that sort of release uh, from the end of Django because there's so many endings to Django, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Calvin candy and then you've got the other, uh, people in the, uh, in the, the, the plantation. And then there's mm-hmm. more endings and that kind of thing with death proof. It's just like, we're going to kick the shit out of this evil mm-hmm. bastard. And mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go, uh, with one of my favorite movies, uh, Tron legacy. Mm. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go with the nightclub scene, um, with Michael Sheen. Uh, we talked about him before and, his entire performance is a money shot uh, in terms of somebody just going for it. Uh, but that scene is really everything about that movie uh, 
that, that works all in one contained scene. It's this wild outlandish characters. It's the Daft Punk up in the corner doing the club music. Uh, it's a very colorful, bright, vivid, loud environment. And then a fight happens. And in the midst of the fight, you see Michael Sheen kicking some ass with his big, long glass, like, walking stick. Uh, but but the, the, the real money moment <laughs> is when fucking Jeff Bridges shows up. You know, OG Jeff Bridges, not, you know, Tron Jeff Bridges. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> punches the ground with this disc. And he's, like, in this kind of Superman landing pose. And you can just feel... The, that the energy has changed in this room because he's like a god in some ways, you know, a disgraced outcast god. Uh, but you can see on the faces of everybody around him like, oh, shit. And then he fights with his son. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's the, the best scene in the whole movie. And the movie's not maybe great as a whole, but it's got a lot of really cool shit in it. Anyway, mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. It's got a lot of uh, good looking people in there, too. Sure mm-hmm. does. That, uh, yeah. that Olivia Wilde is pretty. Yeah, you know, she's going my friend, places. My friend was in Disney recently, like a couple weeks ago, and sent me a picture of a Tron ride that they're building. This is in Orlando. Oh, and I said they're going to make a whole ride, but they won't make another movie. Like <laughs> that doesn't make. Don't you usually make rides that go hand in hand with the like they're making all this Marvel World and Star Wars Land and all this other shit like. Those movies are huge right now. Like, let's make a Tron ride for the people who liked Legacy 10 I years think, ago uh, and 50-year-olds. Like, Jonathan goes down to those parks a lot, like every year. And I think he said something like they have a lot of these kind of rides where there's really? five or six or seven of these. Uh, why did they make this out of this movie ride? Uh, and and it's, it's almost like it's they're they're trying to drum up some sort of interest see if there's any interest Um, there's a whole part dedicated to or a section of the park dedicated to honey i shrunk the kids (laughs) (laughs) like all right cool but like they and they didn't build it in you know the mid 90s or anything like that they built it fairly recently Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. trying to drum up some interest make it a cult cult thing uh i'm cheating a little bit on this and I'm, i'm taking the shot literally uh, because uh, because my pick is going to be Hamilton and Alexander Hamilton. There are a million different money <clears throat> shots in this in this play slash movie that's on Dis- Disney Plus. Um, you could say you know Wait for it is a is a great moment in that. You could say the end of Act One is a great moment. You could say the cabinet meeting uh, things are a great moment. Maybe that is is really showing off. But I think, man, the one that uh, almost literally got me out of my seat when we saw this in New York uh, was the My Shot number, which is like the second, third uh, track off of this, uh, this soundtrack. But it sets up everything, man. You've got him meeting Aaron Burr. Uh, you have that conversation of it, it, it even starts off with if, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Mm-hmm. And that describes the dynamic between those two for the rest of the play, mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of the story. Then you start getting in with Lafayette and uh, Lorenz and you start. And then the the, the wrapping that uh, that Hamilton does. And we've talked about the different Hamiltons that we've seen. Lin-Manuel Miranda is an absolute genius. 
Uh, he is maybe my least favorite Hamilton that I've seen uh, portrayed uh, just because of his pitch and tenor and whatever. But obviously he's a genius. But the stuff that he spits throughout there, especially after Bird tells him to talk less, uh, smile more, is just genius. And the, the refrains, I love songs and, and numbers that have different earworms. So it's, you know, I'm not throwing away my shot. And then it's got the whole rise up, rise up. And it intertwines so beautifully. And I remember when Jeremy and I were sitting next to each other in New York. And as soon as this thing, I'm not throwing away my shot. And he raises his fist. I went, God damn. (laughs) (laughs) And that whole number, I had never seen anything like that. You just gave me goosebumps, by the way. Uh, That whole number, I was like bopping and dancing in my seat. And like, I've I've never heard music like that in a stage musical personally. Uh, And that's a, that's a good pick. I will, I will take this opportunity to go on a mini rant about Hamilton puns because they need to end like five years ago. So like if Lin-Manuel is going to participate in a charity stream, the article will be, don't miss your chance to be in the room where it happens. Uh... Or when before the pandemic, when, the, the play would show up in new cities. This, the city, the Tennessean newspaper, for instance, would be like, uh, don't throw away a shot to see this musical. <laughs> and there are like four or five of them that get repeated over and over again in mainstream media. And I might have to like kill a person. Um, it's so infuriating we do that all the time right with anything uh the they do remember when remember when saturday night live did its uh what was it 40th anniversary i think or maybe it was 45th or whatever where they got everybody uh back uh to do a show and Mm -hmm. everything and uh and mike myers got up there and and said like can you guys come up with a different uh headline than saturday night dead because they and then they showed you know showed like all the different ones where where every year there's somebody who writes this Saturday Night Dead thing, oh, wow. uh, you know, over and over and over and over again, and and uh, you know they they do this. They I don't know if they think that they're being clever or anything. They just want to have throw that little pizzazzy little headline out and this is what this headline this is what this story's about don't worry about the headline this is us yeah. proclaiming the death of saturday night live don't worry about it you know but the title yeah, of this episode is totally gonna be not throwing away my shot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh i i think we can go through another round and then Yo, we go i love the, this topic i could go for rounds and rounds we can get, get into the recommends and warns and everything uh the matrix when neo uh, learn or becomes the one uh mm. is uh is a money shot i believe in that movie mm-hmm. uh because there's all sorts of things that happen where first off they you know everybody back at the ship is like i've never seen anything like this before and you know it's like you kind of wish that the movie could really portray what they're seeing because all they're seeing are like these green digits going haywire <laughs> basically uh but when it actually shows Neo in that hallway fighting the agents and everything, it's it's like he's finally seeing everything in digital, and the like the walls are expanding and and coming and contracting and whatever and coming back and forth and everything, and then like 
you know, Agent Smith comes in and starts to fight him. And then, you know, Keith, like, puts his hand behind his back and starts doing all this, you know, <laughs> this, this, this thing. Not even and looking at him. <laughs> not even looking at him. And then finally, just like, I'm just going to jump in with these motherfuckers and I'm going <laughs> to burst them apart. Um, uh, then he does that flex thing, man. That's so great. Like, yeah. And the music, the music's off the chain in that whole thing, too. The You know, the, the music is amazing during that scene too so um uh but yeah that's one that came to mind awesome yeah that's a good oh it's my turn um you know my love for the raid too um Mm -hmm. and every time i bring it up online um there there are people that pick their favorite scenes like the mud fight or the car chase scene where the camera goes through the car or the baseball bat um guy and hammer girl in the red hallway and all of the, it's all awesome. It's all awesome. The movie could end after he beats hammer guy or hammer girl and baseball guy in the red hallway. And you mm-hmm. will have gotten more than your money's worth in martial arts action. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the kitchen mm-hmm. and <laughs> does what is approximately, I was just trying to look it up real quick, but it's approximately like six plus minutes straight of, Martial arts action, you can feel like <clears throat> it. it's so visceral the way that Gareth Evans shoots this. Is it Gareth, Gareth Evans? I think it is. Yes, because Edwards did the mm-hmm. Godzilla. Um, <clears throat> it's such a visceral scene. I mean, all the fighting in this movie is, but like when they get cut with those little claws that guy's using, you like feel that shit. Mm-hmm. And they make use of the entire kitchen. Uh, they spent eight days filming this one scene. Oh, really? Um, and he spent six weeks designing it. Um, and it fucking shows. Again, like like the scene in the Heat, if you just looked at the storyboards and the script, a producer must have been saying, how is this even going to be possible? This is going to have to be literal like superheroes to get this done. And it just feels like the movie, and in turn, the director is saying, oh, you thought all that was good. You haven't seen anything yet. We're going to break mm-hmm. it down, strip away everything but the two guys and let them go at it um and it's you know not it's my favorite scene in the movie for a bunch of different reasons uh but it is definitely the money shot scene in this movie in terms of this was the moment they just went for it there are i i I told you guys i don't know how many months ago it was i watched this but the thing that's great about that fight is a lot of the fight uh, it take does the things that we've seen on a lot of fights. Even, I mean, this is a, it's a, a good fight. I'm not saying that it's like all other fights, but we we're like, we're not quite sure anybody's got the advantage at first. You know, you they're just fighting, fighting, fighting. And it seems like everything's sort of getting blocked or it's a glancing blow or something like that. It's not, there's, there's nothing landing, but that's what's so good about this scene because when things do land, you know, it, um uh when he finally cuts that dude it's it's it, there's something about it that's insane like it like you know like you he's been he's been flailing away flailing away flailing away and then suddenly you're like oh shit did that just fucking happen oh fuck oh holy shit you know and that's the way that whole scene comes up because it's it's building 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 and finally it you know it, it and it doesn't i talked about this before like in an in a in a shittier movie there would be this slow motion 
fucking, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, he sliced him or whatever. Or or they would cut to some scene, you know, cut to another angle or something. But they don't do that in this. It's all Ooh. in the same shot, uh, which is what makes it so beautiful and why I wish more fucking action directors would do shit like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so here's a movie, another 2018 movie. I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's it's not bad, but it's also right on the line of good and shitty. You know, like it, it's 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 crazy. It's Aquaman, mm. and I like a lot about Aquaman. I hate all the stuff with Patrick Wilson. Love Patrick Wilson, mm-hmm. but I hate all of that character arc. Um, I hate the effects, even though they're worlds better than the original cut of Justice League. Um, I think a lot of the uh, the stuff between Jason Momoa and Amber Heard is a little forced, at least until they get out to the desert. Um, but what I do like is that James Wan, and I have to think that he, it was his idea. I hope it was his idea because he's got a proven track record, was to say, we're going to film this fight at the beginning of the movie as a one-shot, a quote one-shot. And that's the Nicole Kidman uh, fight in the apartment when the, mm-hmm. the, the evil uh, people come in. Mm-hmm. So she has washed up ashore and uh, uh, Django fed has taken her in mm-hmm. to, uh, mm-hmm. to care mm-hmm. for her. And she wakes up and she's all like human. What? No bad. And they, they start getting it on. Mm-hmm. They make sweet love. Barrett. They make sweet love, sweet Atlantean mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it, when she, uh, when the, the evil people do come in, she's like, uh, no, fuck off. I'm Atlanta. And she goes into this hyper one shot kick ass, everybody scene. And it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's obviously very, uh, CGI. It's a mm-hmm. little bit rubber Neo, but it's such a refreshing little sip of, uh, I'm going to try something different in the DCU very similar to a lot of wonder woman that it's like, Oh, that's cool. They're trying something different. And I think that's probably where James Wan is just like, you know what? The rest of this is going to be a lot of like people underwater, obscured by bubbles, throwing (laughs) each other around, throwing pitchforks at each other. Let's have a little bit of fun with this one fight. And I think it's probably my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's trying something, man, go for something. Mm-hmm. This is what we need more. And, and especially in, uh, in, in superhero movies, try something different, man. We've all seen all this other edited bullshit, uh, with superpowers. Do do it. Go for it. Go yeah. for it. Get your job. Yes. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, I agree. It's probably the best scene in Aquaman. Uh, that, yeah. that uh, that whole thing. Uh, yeah, even with the the CGI uh, ness of it, it's it's definitely uh, it's uh, something that they planned or plotted. The future is a hefty responsibility, and not one that we take lightly. But then, taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right. uh, It's time for some uh, recommends and warrants. 
totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Ooh. 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 Yeah. Ooh. Anybody got anything? Ooh. Give me the stuff. <laughs> Give me the stuff. I, I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna open this up here, kids. I'm gonna go right. with an obscure ass record worn. Obscure ass. <laughs> this is one of these that you're gonna wonder. How did Jeremy even come like come to watch this movie? I will uh, ask a, that question. Yes. A black and white 1962 film called Panic in the Year Zero. Hmm. Um, this is uh, one of. Um, what was probably a solid subgenre for a while um, during the Cold War of uh, nuclear holocaust type, um, day after type, um, I guess sci-fi drama, but there's very little sci-fi in it. Uh, the sci-fi, I guess, would be the, it's not sci-fi, nukes are real. Uh, it's a drama. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so uh, it's basically focuses on a family of four, father, mother, son, and daughter. Son is Frankie Avalon, um, mm. prior to, I think, his heyday. Uh, but he was a big enough star that it was a big deal that he was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, both uh, directed and starring a man named Ray Milland, yeah, who yeah. I had never heard of. Um, I think he's now in the Citizen opens- Kane, is he not? Something like that? He's what? He's like in Citizen Kane or something. Uh, I've heard that name before. Oh, uh, maybe. I guess not. But I've seen that name several times. He's got 176 credits. Jesus. So he's, I've seen the name probably many times. So uh, the, the Warren is really only that you're watching a 1962 low-budget film, um, mm-hmm. which means some of the acting isn't going to work. Uh, some of the uh, scenery is not going to work. Uh, but I, I couldn't stop watching because I think precisely I, I don't, you don't see movies like this anymore, not just the topic, but the way it's shot. Um, the, the fact that it's, it's trying to build its dread without showing you anything. It's trying to, there is a shot of a mushroom cloud and a shot of some bright lights before that. But otherwise it's trying to show you the dread of living in what could be, the end times, but you don't really know because the radio's gone down and no one really has anything but rumors up here in the hills. Um, and so, you know, the family was out on a camping trip. They live in L.A. They leave. They're two hours out of town. There's flashing lights and a mushroom cloud. They're like, oh, fuck. So they're like, we better go to this place we know, up this cabin up in the woods or whatever, and wait it out. Um, <clears throat> so they stop at this place for supplies and everyone and their brother is there. Um, and everyone's testy and they get into a fight argument and the guy won't give them any food. So they leave. Then they find a hardware store that also sells guns, which probably happened in the sixties. Um, um, but because the gun store (laughs) owner does not think the nuke is very serious. He thinks, well, it's only LA. Everything else is going to be fine. I still have to follow the rule of law and I can't sell you a gun without waiting a certain amount of time for, background check or what have you which is ridiculous in 2021 but not in 1962 <laughs> so, so the dude the dad takes the gun off the counter loads it and points it at the hardware store guy and says i'm gonna send you a check i'm not robbing you and takes all the guns and ammo and all the other supplies and fucking leaves leaves him a little bit of cash on the counter 
And it's just, they, there's this, I think the movie's trying to show you how even well-intentioned people can become corrupted by extreme scenarios. Uh, mm-hmm. Because slowly over time, the dad becomes just cold-blooded. And uh, like they, they leave the hardware store and there's these three bullies, I guess, I'll call them bullies, uh, who are out with guns threatening everybody, taking advantage of the situation, which is exactly what would happen. And he fires at him to scare him off. He doesn't even blink. Um, and they also have this trailer in the back. And whenever there's trouble, he's, this is dating the movie hard, but he's like, women folk get back in the trailer. this happens like three different times just skip the trailer and stay there we'll take care of this um so they end up uh, finding a cave and they decide to live out here in this cave and um they go looking for some i don't know herbs or fruits or wolves or something they're looking for food and they find out that there's a house nearby and the house is owned by the hardware store guy that they just robbed a lot of coincidences in this movie too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they go to talk to the hardware store guy, but oh, the three bullies from earlier have already killed him. And <clears throat> it goes off the rails at this point. Uh, the bullies show up at the family cave while the men are out, rape the daughter. Dad goes to the house, shoots them both in cold blood, and then they find a sex slave in the closet. Oh, um, this is like all the hills that have said, eyes. Yeah, I was thoroughly entertained watching this movie. Um, and I think it's partly because, like, if you'd shown me this movie when I was in high school, I would have been bored to tears. Oh, the acting's terrible. There's no action. This is old, black and white, boring. But because they don't make movies like this anymore, and I mean that literally, not they don't make the end product like that. They don't, they don't use the same shooting angles. They don't use the same blocking. Everything about this was new to me. Um, and it's got a little bit of a cult following. I looked it up. Uh, and it was considered, you know, pretty decent, especially given the low budget. Um, so uh, it's a record warrant because I don't think you're going to come out of this and say that's a good movie, but mm-hmm. I think you might come out of it and say that was interesting and I had a good time watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why it's my record warrant for this week. There you go. Panic in the year zero. And 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 what was it, what was it that got you to watch this movie? What was the, um, what was the classic Jeremy flipping channels? Everything else on the movie channels is something I don't want to watch again or don't mm-hmm. want to watch at all. Mm-hmm. I get up into the screen picks area. There's four screen picks channels on my guide that always show older movies, like from mm-hmm. the 30s through the 60s. And every now and then, like I almost record warned this uh, snow skiing movie with Robert Redford. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Um, because it? I caught that the other day, too, and that was not very good. Um, but anyway, uh, that. yeah. That, huh? I think I've seen that. Oh, the yeah. That you were talking uh, about. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, Downhill Racer, I think is what it's yeah, called. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, you're talking right. about, you said you said screen picks, right? Because, yeah, I've, I've run across that channel a few times. And, that, and that's their yeah. specialty is to run movies that are maybe not the best, but they are sort of forgotten in a way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe you'll derive some enjoyment from this. I I always think about uh, the uh, the the beginning of I think it's the beginning or somewhere around somewhere in the movie Walk the Line he's watching that movie Folsom Prison which is oh, not yeah. a good movie at all uh, but he he writes he writes the Folsom Prison song after that and I think it was James Mangold who came out and said it's interesting to me 
that a lot of times will poo poo this kind of entertainment, you know, like these, these movies that are just not good at all, but it's amazing what they inspire a lot of times. Uh, so there's, there's definitely a unique audience for these, for these movies and who knows what can come of it. And especially like you hear Tarantino talking and stuff. It's like, it's like, yeah, my influences are these movies right here. And you're like, <laughs> you're like fucking what? I've never heard of these movies before. Man. Yeah. You know? That movie, that movie is straight up my alley, man. I, I love, I love the, uh, aftermath of disasters where you don't necessarily know the nature of the disaster. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about in a George Clooney midnight sky type of thing. Uh, I'm talking about something like very similar to this setup is Jericho, the TV series that, yeah. uh, with the skeet that, uh, that ran for a, a couple skeet. of seasons, the skeet, skeet, skeet. all they could is skeet, 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 motherfucker. Um, <laughs> all they could see was the mushroom cloud from Denver and they were out in Nebraska. And they were like, I guess we're fucked, but I don't know. And so the whole thing was figuring out, you know, a small rural town, figuring out what can we do now that there's a disaster over there. Uh, And that appeals to me a lot, Uh, like a year zero type of thing. Uh, I'm going to watch this. Watch it it hard. What does Avalon play? He plays the son or the He the plays the father? son. And he, the, both the son and the daughter are ridiculously adult looking for a movie like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, it's supposed to be playing They're like, like 37. high schoolers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I was uh I was on uh I was on Hulu and I ran across a documentary called Kid Ninety. Oh. Um, this is Slay Moon Fry. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, best known to our generation as Punky Brewster, and probably best known to most generations as Punky Brewster. Um, it's in it, it's amazing. This documentary is amazing because of how much footage she shot during the '90s of just being just hanging out with buddies and everything, and she has like a who's who roster of celebrities and people who are going to become something or whatever on these videos. Uh, there is a, you know, there are touches of, uh, of extreme sadness in this movie because of how many actors she's recording throughout this whole decade who end up taking their own life, uh, later on people like Jonathan Brandis, um, uh, but there, and, 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 but there's just an, an amazing amount of like people she hung out with. Um, and, uh, and, and it, and it, it always goes back to her and she's like, you know, I, I wish I had known back then when people were telling me these certain things, what that meant, because it wasn't too long afterwards, they would take their own life or whatever. And it's like, it's like, now I know this type of thing or whatever. Um, but there's also, you know, she's talking about her own, you know, her, her, her personal life in a very frank way. And there's a lot, just, there's a point where they're very coy about, uh, Charlie Sheen being the man who takes her virginity. Oh, uh, that's so disappointing. That is yeah, so disappointing. I know. I know. Fucking they, Charlie Sheen and Punky they, Brewster. Oh, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, they, they start off by like, she she shares some of the answering machine messages that he left. He, she kept everything, man. Um, 
you know, of just him like, Hey, uh, I was just in town. I was wondering if you wanted to come out and hang out and blah, 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 blah. And all this. And, uh, and for a long time they were like, and it's like, and then finally, you know, I was ready. I was ready to, to finally have sex. And, and I, and I, and, and I, and I did it with this one guy or whatever. And you're like, you just, you, you, you built this up to Charlie Sheen this whole time. You haven't said a fucking word. And I'm like, that's totally fine. You don't have to, if you don't want to, but then the then the documentary does just go right out and say it right after that. Oh, and, really? Uh, oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Geez. Uh, but it's, it talks about her life and how, you know, how she had to struggle, you know, uh, like a lot of ch- child actors have to, um, uh, especially since, you know, she grew up really fast. Like she had to have breast reduction, like when she was oh, 16 really? or something. Oh, like wow. That. And she, you know, she had to deal with the stories of, you know, there's guys who were like hitting on her when she's 16 years old and, and, uh, and everything. But, uh, it's a fascinating documentary of course there are trigger warnings to be had with this. It's not like there's anything graphic, but a lot of the people that are, that she shows on here who are talking to her and they're, and they talk in a certain way where you're like, Ooh, this person sounds like they're in bad shape. And then you find out what happens later to them you know, that's going to, that, that might be a trigger warning for you. So, uh, just, just know that going in, but it's, it is always, it's always fascinating to go into these, um, uh, these child actors. Of course, we, we've, we've seen a lot of, I mean, it's, I think if I, I, I would probably, uh, warn against people ever putting their kids through, uh, acting, uh, mm-hmm. if, after, after hearing the stuff that I've heard, like, I, I, very few, it seems like, I mean, I guess, I guess many do come out, uh, being healthy and everything, but they, they have a lot of like issues coming out of that, man. I mean, it's there's there's two, there's a lot of stuff that they're having to deal with because of that weird time in their lives where they're supposed to be a child and act like an adult at the same time. And I think there's a, a, a weird tearing that's going on, uh, but uh I, I so watching Soleil Moon Fry at this age now and and talking about everything I, I i love i love her uh she ain't afraid to throw the fucks out i love that uh <laughs> I, 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 I no and I, I really do i love it when uh, an actor's like fuck this you know i'm just going to say fuck and you can deal with it um and uh and uh, but uh, yeah kid 90 uh is is really good i recommend it Awesome. I'm That's all been all over this, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, so is the 90 that she grew up in the 90s or this is so. focused in the 90s? I think it's the about 90s? the decade, yeah. Because she, uh, Punky Brewster was late 80s, I think, was the the genesis of it, right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I think it was late 80s. Um, I think I watched the show, but I don't remember. I know I did. I don't remember, I don't remember anything about it though. I just I just I just remember her and everything. And she's probably an early crush of mine with Soleil Moon, Moon She and Alyssa Milano and Who's the Boss were my two mm-hmm. main uh TV crushes around oh, yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh and she I don't know even I know she's had some acting gigs, you know, throughout her life and she's around our age, I think. Yeah, she um, was uh, she's like 4 months older than me and no, Okay. Uh, um like yeah so it's she i don't know if she she might have she might have graduated the same if she went i don't know if she went i don't remember if she went to i don't know if they said that she went to a high school or got a ged or whatever but 
she probably would have either been in my class or the class just before it. But um, I'm glad she's she's still getting, you know, some identity. And I think it's cool that she kept all that stuff, too. Hey, and mm-hmm. to be fair, Charlie Sheen, at the time we're talking about, was mm-hmm. not Charlie Sheen today. <laughs> well, of yeah. course, dude, but he was still fucked up, man. I mean, well, you don't always know that. I'm just up? saying for, there was a time where he was the heartthrob. Uh, sure. Of course. Of course. And, you know, so it's not like we don't have to. We can feel bad about how it turned out for him and everyone who knew him. Um, There's a but, point where, like, yeah, you're exactly right, Jeremy. I, I think that this is a different kind of Charlie Sheen back then, even though he he probably at this point has done a lot of fucked up shit. But like, um, <laughs> like, um, like, I mean, the 9-11 movie. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, that's way after, that's way <laughs> after this period. Um, but she, you know, when, when it, when it's showing her, she doesn't seem the least bit upset about it at all. She's, she, she I think she remembers these times fondly. So like, it's yeah. not, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's not a thing, but, um, there, the, the, the weird thing is watching it's Jonathan Silverman, I believe is on, is, uh, is the guy that's on the, is on one of these videos and uh, I guess she's told everybody that she, you know, that she's lost her virginity, but she hasn't said anything. And Jonathan Silverman's like, well, we're just trying to figure out who this guy is that uh, that she's just said that she's lost her virginity to. Could it be somebody who is 27 and uh, an actor who's had a few movies under his belt at this point and whatever? And is everything is describing Charlie Sheen that he says. <laughs> <in this. laughs> so anyway, Jonathan Silverman. I miss yeah, that man. Guy. Yeah, man. I need some of him in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to, and I think if we do another round, I will get to my, my thoughts on bad trip, uh, the Eric Andre thing, but I can't not talk about this, even though we've mentioned Jojo rabbit before, uh, mm. in our yearly rundown in 2019, I don't think we've really gone into depth, uh, about it, uh, over time. I've showed this to my wife uh, for her first time uh, the other night, and I was reminded that it is, uh, to me, it's an absolute classic. I think it's mm-hmm. it's an absolute masterpiece yeah. uh, of of satire, of comedy, and of just absolute humanity. Uh, I forgot how great the bit players like Sam Rockwell and Alfie Allen and uh steven merchant and rebel wilson are mm-hmm. uh obviously i remembered that uh, thomas and mckenzie and scarlett johansson are fantastic and of course thomas griffin or roman griffin davis uh as uh, jojo is terrific mm-hmm. but that movie hits me on every fucking level it it works perfectly it's a story of hope it's a story of despair it has one of the biggest wallops I think I've ever experienced. Uh, and my wife experienced it for the first time too. Um, and Taika Waititi, I think is an absolute fucking genius, not only with his direction and especially it's a, it's very uh, full metal jackety when Jojo is out there at the beginning of the movie going, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler, uh, to where it becomes almost a nonsensical phrase, and he's doing that smooth tracking shot all the way across the screen. It's beautiful. And then his performance as Hitler, how do you how do you get that right? 
How do you mm-hmm. get that so right to make him so comedic and so occasionally menacing uh, and so biting? I, I I can't. I don't understand how this movie works so perfectly. Uh, but that's. I, I think it's a movie I'm going to end up watching dozens of times uh, because every component of this film I think works perfectly. Uh, and and when I see something that it, that is that perfect, I want to go back to it over and over again. Plus, it's fucking hilarious, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's absolutely. It will make you crack the fuck up, especially the Sam Rockwell, Alfie Allen stuff. Yeah. Uh, just, just gave me the giggles all over again. Uh, and Rockwell, man, he played, God, he's, we're going to look back and, and, and discover he's one of our underrated gems. I know he's been nominated a few times. Did he win for three billboards? he, He won for three billboards. Yes. Um, but I think, I think he's, he's got such a, an array of characters that I think we're going to look back on him and say like, man, that guy had like a sneak. This is, uh, this ends with them, the boy and the girl slowly dancing out yeah. on the street. Right. Yep. I, yep. I remember that was my biggest takeaway was, was, it was such a perfect ending for such a complex movie. And I think it's very difficult to blend humor with anything related to Hitler or World War II or and a lot of movies have tried this one reminded me at least in terms of the tone balance of uh life is beautiful um yeah. <clears throat> in that it's got heavy moments and especially if you're looking in the background uh it's not trying to shy away from the holocaust or the evils of this war mm-hmm. um but the humor is very real and human and um I think it's very difficult to blend. I think the reason Hitler works was that it was played by the guy who came up with the whole concept. Um, and I think if you'd have put another actor in there instead of, you know, the director himself, the writer, <clears throat> they might not have known the right nuance. No, you're beat. right. And and he's got he's got the right sensibility. And he probably didn't want to put anyone in that position. Right. Right. Like, That's he's probably thing. just like, you know what? Fuck it. Hey, yeah. Clooney, you want to come play Hitler well, for me? It's, kind of, it's, it's the same thing that I uh, heard about Scorsese uh, putting himself as the guy in the backseat of the cab in Taxi Driver. Yeah. He's like, I don't want any other actors playing this because it's just too dirty and it, I don't want them to be affiliated with that for the rest of their lives. Uh, I think the other thing about Jojo Rabbit that works uh, as far as throwing Hitler out there and making him a buffoon and all this is that it is in his mind. It's the kid's mind. Yep. Um, mm. the, it's a, it's a, it's an ideal version almost of Hitler where he's not this evil person. He's a guy who's got a sense of humor uh, and everything. Um, I had this on actually a few days ago. I, I, uh, I don't know if it was like HBO max or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. I put yeah. It on. yeah. Uh, and I can't remember what it is. It is Elsa draw a picture of her inside of uh, of uh, his head or something like that, and uh, in in JoJo's head, or what is it? What is it? What? Because the line is, she he says he says why am I why are you inside of my head? And she goes that's where I live. Yeah 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 yeah. He she drew a picture of him, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, it's something like uh, she. She was uh, 
inhabiting his head. And he was like, why did you draw my head or something? Or why do you live in my head? Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, she's got some great lines and Thomas and McKenzie just plays that so beautifully. She could, she could have gone in different directions. I bet this set was just absolutely amazing to be on because mm-hmm. it, it, from all accounts, it seems like Taika Waititi is, is a fantastic person. He's hilarious. Uh, he's got that New Zealand Kiwi sensibility. Uh, and I hope Kiwi's not a slur. Uh, he's got that New Zealand sensibility. And it just, I don't know, man. Everybody, Scarlett Johansson is at the very tippy top of her game in this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. I know some people don't think that. And, you know, I understand. Uh, but I think she is, she embodies that freedom that she is trying to convey with this character. This is, this is one of the, this is the year I officially uh, thought Scarlett Johansson became a, a real actor. Like it, I know that sounds really fucking insulting. I don't mean mm. it to be that way. Uh, but where it's no longer where she's been cast because she's so pretty in mm-hmm. something and under the skin is kind of like that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, it's, it's this and it's, um, it's, uh, fuck. What's the movie with Adam driver? Oh, marriage story, marriage story. Those came yeah. out the same, in the same year. Uh, and it was it, for the first time I was actually, you know, sitting there going, she's playing a different character in this. Uh, and I, you know, and I, and I like her in lost in translation and all these movies I've seen her in, but much like Amanda Seyfried in Mank. Uh, yeah. I was like, this is uh, like officially where I'm like, I'm really into what they're doing acting wise. And uh, I don't know how you could hate this performance. Well, not hate it, but not think that she's doing a great job. I don't know, man. I mean, the, all the stuff where she'll, she'll just give Jojo shit, mm-hmm. you know, when they're by the, uh, uh, the river and she's talking about romance and he's like, ah, romance, whatever. And mm-hmm. she's like, all right, shit bird, get up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Let's get out of here. Calls him and, a shitbird. Uh, yeah, he calls him shitbird. <laughs> and of course, that whole that whole sequence of them at the dinner table when he starts talking back to her, and uh, she portrays his father. Yeah, great. It's just is just absolutely genius. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is literally, I think, uh, a masterpiece in my opinion. Um, and I just wanted to give it a little more love than we've given it in the past because it's mm. good. All right. Um, I'm going to recommend a full throated recommend. Mm. Maybe one of you guys mentioned this a couple years ago, but I don't know for sure. 2018, quote unquote, superhero drama called Fast Color, hmm. starring Gugu Mbatha Raw. Yeah. <clears throat> um, this is um not a perfect film. But it's so unique in both uh, its expression of superpowers um, and the, the visuals that are used. Um, didn't have a huge budget. Didn't make a ton of money. Uh, I'm not sure how many people get, got to see it. Uh, it's on Hulu now if you're subscribed. But basically, uh, Gugu, can I call her Gugu? That just feels weird, but that's her name. That is. Right? That is. Yep. She's yep. playing a woman named Ruth who's trying to journey back home. There's been a drought for many, many years um, in middle America. No, no rain at all. And Ruth is making her way back home because um, she needs help, but she has seizures 
that cause earthquakes. Oh, um, she had left home a long time ago because of this, uh, so that she wouldn't hurt anybody. Uh, back home, she has a mother and a daughter, and um, a stepfather, sudden David Strathairn. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so there are also evil government men after her because they want to harness her abilities and turn them into weapons. Which is honestly, let's just let's just be honest. That's what would happen if superheroes existed for real. Sure, the man. Government would fucking drain everything out of them and turn them into war machines literally um so her mom has a different power ability um she can see the colors quote unquote which is a really cool visual representation uh, but she can also uh, levitate disintegrate and put back together basically anything she wants like a cookie jar or a coffee mug or what have you a little girl the daughter that that Ruth left behind all those years ago has the same power, the ability to see colors and the ability to disintegrate things with their mind and then put them back together. Hmm. Um, and basically a lot of the story is relationship stuff and, and sort of her reconciling, having left her daughter behind, her daughter has no memories of her. Um, her daughter calls grandmother mom. Um, there's some lingering issues between Ruth and her mom. Um, and David Strathairn is, is both in love with the mom, but also a local law, law enforcement guy who's trying to help her avoid these bad guys that are coming after her. And I don't really want to spoil the movie any further than that. Um, but I thought it was really smart. Like I felt like as somebody who has written, uh, a superhero story or two, not that I'm bragging about them, but I, I didn't see a lot of these decisions coming. Um, and I really appreciated that, that one of the powers, the powers aren't really, you know, they can fly, they can shoot laser beams out of their eyes. The idea that, that these powers are seeing vivid colors or having a seizure that causes earthquakes, I think is a really human way to sort of metaphor um, mental health issues and other disabilities and whatnot. Um, and uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw basically carries this movie. Uh, Strathairn is always great, but he's barely in it. Um, and she's just really engaging as somebody who doesn't really have anywhere they can go to both get help, but keep the people they love from being harmed. Um and yeah, I'm tempted to go further because there's one really cool scene that I think would sell you on it, but it's also something I don't want to spoil. Um, mm, yeah. So there you go. I mean, it's, you, it's you've, a, you've said enough that I think uh, is, is make it worth watching um, yeah. because the, the powers themselves sound interesting. Like it's not something that we're used to in other mainstream type of things, type of comic book. Uh, movie so yeah god damn it i've got a lot of homework to do after this mm-hmm. yeah this feels uh, like a, all, all of these <laughs> good shit mm-hmm. i know all of these sound off what happened with fast color like did it just come and go i Wikipedia mean I, says, i've heard of this but yeah, i haven't Wikipedia seen it it made seventy six thousand dollars at the box wow so yeah, that sounds it like it didn't have a theatrical limited. release yeah yeah, yeah. and that's uh, a shame uh, I will say, if that intrigues you, and if you watch it and enjoy it, 
According to Wikipedia, there is still in development um, a TV show version with the same director and writer. And Viola Davis is actually the executive producer of both the film and the series. So there may be more of this coming your way. Uh, It would be an Amazon Prime show. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you did bring it. Yeah. We all Um, did. (laughs) Um. I'm going to recommend I've ever since we had that uh, podcast where, you know, I had to admit that I had not seen a lot of Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder uh, team up and everything. (laughs) I ended up watching three of those. And then I watched a couple other Richard Pryor movies after that. Mm. Um, I've started, I've, I've, uh, so quite a few Richard Pryor movies that I had never seen before. Um, but the one I'm recommending here is Brewster's Millions, which I believe Barrett Heck said. Yeah. Barrett said that he really liked at one point. Love that movie. Um, it, the, what I like about Richard Pryor, and now that I've seen quite a few of his movies and everything, there's something insanely likable about every character he plays. I mean, he's 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 not you know it's not like a huge like. Um, stretch of uh characters huge range of characters he's playing but he has a way of saying something that's negative in a way that makes you just endear he endears you to him uh he somehow puts that little smile on his face even when he's saying something negative and everything and it's like this guy is so just insanely likable um but brewster's millions uh is about a, a minor league uh relief pitcher uh, who thinks that, you know, any day now he's going to be able to go to the show and everything. And you see him at the beginning where he's getting bailed out by insane defense uh, <laughs> to to get out of a out of an inning and everything. Uh, John Candy is in this place, his catcher. Uh, and uh, after this one game, he uh, is uh, approached by uh, – uh, someone who who wants to, wants him to meet with these people in a law firm, and he finds out that he has this rich great uncle played by Hume Cronin, who um, uh, is giving is going to uh, give him three hundred million dollars, but the caveat is he wants to give him thirty million dollars first up front uh, that he must spend and have absolutely nothing of value at the end of the spending spree. What a great concept. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, Hume Cronin is, uh, says something to the effect of like, when my parents caught me smoking cigarettes, they would put me in a closet and make me smoke every single one of them before. And so I'd get sick of it. And that's exactly what I'm doing with you here. He's like, I want you to, uh, I want you to uh, spend so much money that you are tired of it, that, you, that you're exhausted of it. Uh, the kind of, the the uh, the rules of this whole thing is he's you know we've you know the thirty million he has to spend have nothing of value at the end. He also can't tell anybody that if he does this he's going to get three hundred million dollars if he if he's successful. So that leads to some really like tough things because he's got an actual person who's uh, watching out for him on his money, and of course his buddy is John Candy. And John Candy is going to fuck things up uh, during the middle of this movie too. Um, uh, it shows you it's in a weird way 
how hard it is for very wealthy people to like not be wealthy anymore. Right. Uh, even if they spend this much money, the, the, one of the things that John Candy does that fucks Richard Pryor up in this movie is he gets a, he finds this guy who's really good at investing things and everything. Obviously Richard Pryor can't tell anybody that to not spend anything because of whatever reason. So Candy gets this guy to help him invest some of the money. And the, and so like Pryor is like spending all this money and he's like, he feels like he's getting down to the right amount and everything where he's going to be able to do this in a month. And, uh, and Candy comes in with this other guy. He's like, I just invested in all this stuff for you. And it, it gave us $15 million. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is this is just this is a fun movie, man. This is this is something that uh, sort of a, I don't know if it's a lost relic of the '80s. I don't know if there are a lot of people who continue to talk about this movie or anything, but uh, really fun, really fun movie. Richard Pryor is really good in it. John Candy at his usual funny self in this. Uh, so yeah, I, I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. I rented this at Blockbuster probably five or six times. Mm. Uh, it was weird. I had more of a permissive family, I think, uh, than you guys did growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I did have the same Richard Pryor caveat. Uh, mm -hmm. I did see See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and Silver Bullet and things like that. Uh, Silver Streak? Silver, Silver Streak, yep. Um, but uh, for some reason, uh, Brewster's Millions was not allowed in our uh, video drawer. So I would go to... Uh, um, blockbuster and rented all the time, which I is weird because I think Brewster's Millions is like PG or something. It is, it is. and it the is. other movies, those other movies are R-rated movies. I know, I know. So I don't, get I, don't, I don't get, I don't get. They must have thought uh, that Brewster's Millions had something in it that was objectionable. That uh, they didn't know it was PG or something. I don't there's know. a lot of cock in that movie. Oh yeah, they're just <laughs> fla flailing away with cock in that movie. Oh, speaking of cock, I have a, uh, I have a warn. Uh, All right. We're going to end this on negativity, bitches. Okay. Okay. Uh, Eric Andre uh, just did his new film, released it on Netflix, called Bad Trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am in the minority uh, with this opinion because I think comedians love this movie. I think mm -hmm. people who are funny love this movie. This ain't for me, man. So I'm not really familiar with Eric Andre's thing and or his show. I guess it's on Adult Swim or it was on Adult Swim. It's on Adult Swim, yep. Um, but it's a prank thing. And mm -hmm. look, dude, I've I've professed my love for Borat because I think Borat is saying something. Mm -hmm. um, it's still cringy to watch sometimes, uh, but I think he's he's making a quote sacrifice for some sort of edification. These are just pranks. These are just pranks. And like, it's like watching a punked episode, but, but not even as funny. Mm -hmm. uh, the conceit, they actually have a narrative thread going through here is that Eric Andre is kind of like a down on his luck, uh, doofus out in uh, Florida. And he's got a buddy, Lil Rel Howery, um, that is submissive to his ex con sister, played by Tiffany Haddish. And that's the setup. Mm -hmm. She just recently got out of prison. Uh, she shakes uh, Lil Rel Howery down for money. 
uh, Little Royal Howery complains to his buddy Eric Andre, and they want to take a road trip up to New York to see Eric Andre's old crush. And through the through the the thing, have you seen this, Chris? I have not. No. Throughout the movie, what they do is they take this narrative thread, they do stunts, and they involve people around them. So there's one time where they, he and Lil Rel Howery. Uh, somehow get their dicks stuck in a Chinese uh, finger trap. Well, of course. Uh, because, but, but, but a dick trap. And mm-hmm. they go up to other people and say, hey, can you help us out? Can, can you figure out how to cut it or something? Mm-hmm. And people get all obviously freaked out and, and things like mm-hmm. that. And my, my, my issue with this is it, like what you want. I know a lot of people do like this. Do your thing, man. When you involve unsuspecting people, and they do go out of their way at the end of the credits to show that they revealed to him, oh, you're in a prank show and all that stuff. And they're all like, ha, 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 that's funny. When you involve real life people, man, you're you're impacting them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think unfairly. Uh, when you're a dipshit racist like Borat uh, exposes, I think you kind of deserve it. But they like there's one moment where Eric Andre runs through like this plate glass uh, 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 picture window and there's a lady in there just cleaning the house mm-hmm. and he runs past her and she gets freaked out. I mean, she gets she cowers like in the front stoop and everything. Yeah. And she's one of the ones at the end where, where they're like, oh, you're in a prank show. And she's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. But like you kind of fucked with this woman, man. Like, I don't I don't think I don't think it's funny. I, I'm probably missing something, but this this ain't this ain't my thing. No, I think the only things that need to involve unsuspecting people at this in this day and age are like the wholesome, uplifting, viral video flash mob things where yeah, yeah. you're walking through a mall and suddenly every other shopper is dancing a dance and you're the only one who doesn't know the dance. That's mm-hmm. that's about as far as I'm willing to tolerate prank shows anymore because especially in this day and age you are just as likely to get shivved as you are you know to get the reaction you want i saw a gif or a video <laughs> it's not the same thing but somebody was dressed up as like a, either a, i think a trash can in a high school hallway and there were two or three vignettes where he would pop out and people would ah run away wonder comes by and the guy pops out and dude fucking decks him in the face <laughs> immediately and it shared i think i even saw it on a subreddit for like you know shit that goes wrong or whatever but man you are risking so much and you're also i think risking lawsuits at this point i think you could pretty easily claim like trauma for that woman i didn't see it but if he ran through a plate grass window and she's just cleaning the house and he runs by and she's freaking out cowering on i think you could say that she was traumatized by that event even if it was funny later that doesn't erase the trauma exactly, of the exactly. moment and where so, i don't know where the humor is in that it's not saying anything it, 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 do do something with it and i understand people people like this and i i, I get it and I don't need all of my comedy to speak to a higher thing, but like I don't, I don't see where the joke is. Where is the joke with this stuff? Uh, right? Yeah, what I'm you, the same way about people to do. Yeah, I'm the same way about these type of things. I mean, uh, one thing I will say is that Jackass movies were really, really interesting, really fun to watch with a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because the things are happening to them, 
Yes. It, it, it tends to be funnier. You and signed up for it. it, yeah. it that's, that's fine. They, they will on occasion veer over into the other, like they, they do get unsuspecting people. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this. I, I have watched several of these Eric Andre shows on adult swim. Uh, I think it, I, I, I like the absurdity of, of that show, uh, when he's in the studio, mm-hmm. but then there's some, uh, filmed segments where he goes off into New York city and he's fucking with people left and right. And I'm just like, get back to the studio. The studio is where the fun is. This right here is, I just don't, I I'm never going to be in on, I'm never going to think this is funny at all. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with, uh, when Jimmy Kimmel does his man on the street thing. And I think Leno did this too, but when they, they asked them leading questions about like, well, what do you think professor or president, you know, mayonnaise is going to do? And they answer as if they know who president mayonnaise is or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, There's the a, one he yeah, did. I, okay. You're a dumbass. Hilarious. The, That's fucking the one great. where Jay Leno went to Coachella and Coachella, like, like Bonnaroo has like a hundred fucking acts and yeah. you haven't ever heard of half of them. And the whole bit was, he would say things that weren't bands and the person being asked, the question, mm. who's on camera with Jade Leno, goes, yeah, I can't wait to see them either. And then the joke is, ha-ha, that's not a real band, you moron. And it's yeah. like the most staged <laughs> fucking bullshit ever. I hated it. I, I don't do, think Jay Leno has ever been I'm a fuddy-duddy, I guess. But, like, I, 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 do, I do not see the humor in it. Uh, the the, the, <laughs> the Eric Andre show has a couple of, like, like classic things in it that's just – like I said, that show was absurd. Um, uh, there's a point, there's a, there's one episode where Eric Andre is pretending to be like a really, really bad late night talk show comedian. And he's doing his, uh, he's doing his, you know, first five, six minutes or whatever things in the news today, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, in the background, Hannibal Burris is basically heckling him and everything. And, uh, and, uh, there's a point where Eric Andre says a joke and Hannibal Burris says something mean to him or whatever. And Eric Andre turns around and shoots him like five times or something like that. And then he turns over, turns back to the microphone and he's like, who in the hell shot Hannibal Burris? Stuff like that. Um, you can but, tell the guy's funny, but uh, yeah. it's just in a different, it's a, a weird context. I never I, was on board with that. The Tom Green stuff before that, I didn't like, mm-hmm. um, you know, just. I not, think he's hilarious thing. in the same way, in that mm-hmm. absurdist way. But yeah, when he involves other people, they yeah. didn't sign up for that shit, man. Rounding it up, um, Barrett warned bad trip and he recommended Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, uh, he recommended Fast Color, uh, and he reco-warned Panic in the Year Zero from 1962. And I recommended the documentary Kid 90 with Soleil Moon Fry and uh, recommended Brewster's Millions, 1985, Richard Pryor comedy. Um, I'm going to watch we... that Kid 90 thing fucking tonight. Yeah. That's going to be fucking rad. Um, do we have a time for a couple questions or question? Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Yeah, I think so. Right. Let's do this, bitches.
Okay. Uh, first one uh, that came to us from Twitter. It was such a good question that I didn't answer it on Twitter. I decided to uh, hold my nut and, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm, put it on mm-hmm. here. That's right. Uh, here we go. I am watching The Replacements for the 200th time, and it got me wondering, <laughs> what is your favorite ragtag sports team movie? Doesn't have to be great, just favorite. By the way, I think I'm the only person here that likes The Replacements. In fact, I kind of love it, and I fully support your 200th watching of it. Uh, Major League is uh, yeah. probably my favorite ragtag team. Uh, they, they're they playing the Cleveland Indians in this, but, you know, it's another one of those movies where there's no chance and fuck that this team is good. <laughs> there's no way that they win the pennant at the end. It's like, as long as they, they, they always make this shit up in the movies where it's like, well, as long as Wesley Snipes is stealing bases and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this guy that, that, and Charlie Sheen can close games, then they're fine. Like they don't there show anything go. in they don't uh, show anything in the, in the middle of that. <laughs> like they, they make a big deal about Pedro Serrano not being able to hit curveballs like for the whole movie. Like, who are you getting your offense from then, if that's the case? <laughs> anyway, uh, I love Major League, though. I can watch that anytime. It's uh, it's a funny movie. So, Man, I'm going to cheat, but I had an even better cheat answer. Uh, I was Originally, I was going to answer Moneyball. Mm. Um, mm. Just because the, the question asker did not define it as a comedy or as a kid's um, right. sports team. And Moneyball is this quintessential this should not work and it does, but I'm going to cheat with an even better answer. Uh, miracle. Uh, the mm. Kurt Russell oh, Olympic, yeah. 1980 Olympic hockey team, which again, they were, they were good players. They would not have been at the tryout had they not been decent enough college players, but he specifically chose the less flashy guys, the less high scoring guys, because he was picking, as he says, famously, I'm picking a team not mm-hmm. just the best players. And then one of, one of the things the movie does do is it sort of earns its victory, right? It's not, it's not like they magically get uh, a goalie who's 400 pounds and blocks all shots, and that's how they're <laughs> able to beat the Russians. He, you have to yeah. actually watch him mold them into a team. There's that great moment where he's doing wind sprints after a loss, and he keeps asking them, what team they play for and they keep naming their college team. And then finally Mike Rizzioni gets it. And he's like, I play for team USA. And he's like, all right, that's it. Everybody go home. And he's <laughs> taught them a very important lesson right there. I fucking love this movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially in light of having watched and seen the mighty ducks, which gives the <laughs> finger to hockey. Um, and then uh, because I wrote it down and we're wrap it up, I'll say the rookie, which is much more about Dennis Quaid's coach than the team, but that team sucks. Mm. And the only reason they get good is he makes a bet with them. They find out he can pitch really fast and he starts pitching faster at practice. And then he's like, well, if we win state or whatever, some unachievable goal, then I'll try out for a professional team again. And that is all it takes. The kids Mm. are motivated, motivated to become awesome ball players (laughs) by the prospect of their coach (laughs) doing a tryout. They won't even get to witness their ability um, to be good was within inside them the whole time. And they and they go on to win every other game. Every other game. Anyway, the the story is based on a true one. It was it was kind of cool enough. You probably didn't have to manufacture this bullshit. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, I've got one that we don't ever talk about, but I love. Uh, it's Shaolin Soccer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was the uh, first international Stephen Chow movie uh, that predated Kung Fu Hustle, which is also a genius movie. Yeah, I love Kung Fu um, Hustle, too. Shaolin Soccer, I watched this uh, not too long ago. Uh, the effects don't necessarily hold up as well as they did back in 2000 ish when this came out. Um, but man, it's fun. This dude's a Kung Fu master and he decides, you know what? I'm going to start uh, playing soccer because, uh, you know, I, I met up with a dude who's, who's, uh, whose ex friend is an evil corporation and everything. And this is a little bit of a cheat because they use their martial arts uh, to pretty much dominate when they first start off playing in the soccer tournament, completely illegal. Uh, but then they run into the evil corporation soccer team and they get their asses killed. I mm. mean, this movie is violent. It's, it's crazy how much abuse they all take and they keep stacking it up, stacking it up. You guys have both seen this, right? They mm -hmm. keep yeah. stacking the stakes to where one person has this like unimpeachable power and then another person has a power that can defeat it. And then this one has a di different power. And everybody's got their own power. One guy can absorb shit through his like shirt and his <laughs> stomach. Uh, one guy's got an iron foot. And Stephen Chow basically is everything embodied. It's such a fun movie. It's yeah, such it a is. fun movie. And then his girlfriend ends up in gold and she's fucking red. Challenge <laughs> <laughs> soccer. You people should check that out. And Kung Fu Hustle. Stephen Chow is a genius. Yeah. Oh yeah, those uh, good, and I'll I'll end shit. I'll end with um, beer fest. Uh, ah yes, beer a, fest. A ragtag group sports. <laughs> sports, yeah, exactly. Hey man, they're playing quarters and they're playing. I know. Like, I'm giving you shit. All kinds of shit. Giving you shit. I actually, I think I've I've watched this more times than I have Super Troopers. They're both broken mm, lizards. I know I have things. And I think I like it better than Super Troopers. Super Troopers is a classic. Mm -hmm. uh, but Beer Fest, I think, is more enjoyable on the whole. Uh, it's so gonzo, and it's so fun. Uh, <laughs> and and they do go against Will Forte and the, the Germans at the end uh, and, and vanquish their foes. It's so fun. Oh, it's good. So, and oh, you know what? So I good. hope that they do. I know it's a joke thing at the end, but they should do Pot Fest. Uh, <laughs> you know, they did that thing with the Willie Nelson at the end. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, Beer Fest has that moment in there where they, I think that's the first night that they decide to drink really hard and everybody does something really fucked up. And like uh, Jay Chandra Shekhar or whatever his name, I can't remember his last name. It wakes up next to a deer with a bite knocked out. He's <laughs> the completely naked. There's a bit he's naked. There's just a bite taken out of the deer somewhere. <laughs> I just love that shit. Um, <laughs> uh, I think we got one more, one more question. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let's end. Let's end on a sexy note uh, because sexy. when people think of this podcast, they think sexy. They do. They think sex um, all the time. It's on and the. Brain. I understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the sexiest scenes set to music in film? Mm. Well. Um, I got lucky on this because I did not know it was set to music. I, I, I just thought it was sexiest scenes, but I got lucky on this. Nice. Um, uh, a movie that's not very good called A Walk in the Clouds. 
has mm. a scene where uh, it, <laughs> there's this giant vat of grapes and there is a, uh, there's a, tr- there's a tradition where all the women go inside to the vat of the grape vat of grapes and start stomping on the grapes. And there's all this music playing and everything. And they end on with this crush, the grapes crush, the grapes and all that. Itana Sanchez Gijon, who is the, uh, is the main actress in this movie. There's some moments in there where she, she goes, she goes uh, pretty crazy on the crushing of the grapes, man. She hikes that dress up, make sure that the dress doesn't get all the, the great uh, splatter all over it and everything. And she stomps on that thing and just seeing, you know, just, it's just a sexy dance. And, and, uh, and then there's a point where there's like all this like grape juice being thrown around and she starts flipping her hair around and all that sort of stuff. It's a really good scene. <laughs> crush my grapes oh my god uh, is that uh, yeah. canoe that's in that it's canoe canoe's not very good in this it's not a it's not someone was telling me about brom stoker's dracula they were they were saying that, that uh you know that movie's supposed to be like super sexy but keanu reeves is like this black hole in the movie <laughs> that just just robs it like if it had johnny depp in it it would be a completely different and better movie. That's and true. Everything. That's and true. it's the same. I felt the same way because when I came up with this answer, I went back to watch it to make sure that it was as sexy as I remembered. And I was like, yeah, Atana Sanchez Gijon. She's really like, like uh, uh, crushing them grapes, man. But then they <laughs> show Keanu Reeves and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's something about him where he's too wholesome. Maybe there's something <laughs> a little bit too wholesome about him or too. I don't know what it is, but. You know, when they show him, it's like, no, no, no. You need to stay on that time. Of <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Nice. Um, I, um, I'm going to go with the scene that doesn't necessarily, uh, people are going to understand what I mean. In the movie Drive, which is mm. very music heavy, lots mm-hmm. of scenes are uh, no dialogue, just music. But there's one particular scene where and he's slowly becoming friends romantic with his neighbor Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. whose husband is like an ex-con druggy bad person. And there's this scene where he takes her and her son out for like a drive and they go to this creek and they just have a fun day and it's slow motion and Gosling's got the little kid who's not his own son slung over his shoulder and he's just carrying him back home to put into bed and you can camera turns to Carrie Mulligan as she's walking behind and you can see it's sexy, man. I'm telling you, it's like a man in her life that cares about her son is sexy to her. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's one of those moments. I like that movie. I know a lot of people don't, uh, but that's one that works. Like I think a stable father influence for this kid is straight up sexy to this girl. Uh, and I feel like that's the way the movie plays it. Like she's falling for him because of him being so nice to her son. The other one I thought of was JLo and Clooney in the hotel bar and in the hotel room in uh, out of sight. Mm-hmm. Nothing actually Latin. beats that scene, by the way. Yeah. There's nothing actually that beats that. Because there's that slow jam where it's like, and then like a few measures later, the piano vibes come in. Yeah, and then you have those weird stop edits, and then they go to the next one. Yeah, there's some sexy inevitability to it, really, and it's like driving us there. Anyway, 
you know, something maybe makes that scene even sexier somehow is that those th- th- that one dude tries to hit on her just before Clooney shows yeah. up and 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 there's she's just not having it and then you and then you see Clooney show up and there's a completely different vibe to it there's I don't know if that's what Soderbergh was going for on that to sort of like lead up to that or whatever but I kind of wonder how that scene would play if you didn't have dude hitting on her before I that. think I think that's exactly it because there's three of them and two of them come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first guy does his his stick and everything, and then he goes back and like high fives, like tags yeah. in the other guy, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and he's like, "Let me, I I know what's bothering you." And she's like, "Man, just stop it." And then you expect the third guy to come over, but then you see the lighter come out and him do the the thing, and you're like, "Oh, it, this shit's on right now." <laughs> I think it would have played just fine. Cause we never would have known what we missed um, mm-hmm. if it just cut to him showing up. But I think the, the, the two guys hitting on her is there to show us that she's thinking about Clooney. Mm-hmm. She's not even interested in these guys at all. But the second she knows he's there, everything changes for her mood. And she's like, ah, oh, I thought you'd never, I thought you'd never ask. Uh, <laughs> I think he says, buy you a drink or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and so I think it needs to be there. Ultimately, um, I wouldn't want to take it out having having right. seen it. Oh, but yeah, that is probably out. the sexiest scene in movie history. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got I've got four. <laughs> I've got <laughs> one that I think uh, rivals it. Uh, do yourself a favor, kids, and uh, stream uh, this nineteen ninety six movie, Stealing Beauty, uh, with Jeremy Irons and Ooh. Liv Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not them. Talk about get... an all-time crush, Liv Tyler. God. Yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the song is Portishead's Glory Box. And mm-hmm. yeah, they get it on in an Italian uh, garden. And every time after you, you'll probably spontaneously orgasm when you hear this song just in general. Mm-hmm. But especially after you've seen that song uh, or after you've seen that scene with that song you will pop a chub as soon as you, you hear it uh, driving in the car. You'll be like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <clears throat> Glory box and stealing beauty. The other thing uh, that doesn't involve sex whatsoever is Son of a Preacher Man in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that song is so smooth. It is the smoothest song. because And then you hear the bass go, mm-hmm. I know every little uh, eccentricity and note of, of that song, because as soon as you put it on, it's a mood and Vincent and Mia don't even know each other at this point, but she exudes sexuality, especially with that song when she's walking up. And just before the song, I think it's just before the song plays or it's during it. It's during it. Uh, we, we only see her lips talking into that microphone. Yep. I'll be down there in two shakes of a lamb's tail. And you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Also, you people uh, who are friend, fans of Alfonso Cuaron, uh, mm. I've talked about this movie before, but Great Expectations is one of his earlier films. And there's two scenes with Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow, one where he finger bangs her, but she wants it. Uh, and that's to, uh, she, she intentionally inserts his fingers. Anyway, 
Uh, it's to Chris Cornell's uh, Sunflower, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then another time where he sweeps her off of her feet in New York and uh, they go back and, and have the sex to uh, a band called Pulp, uh, their mm-hmm. song, uh, Like a Friend. And it is awesome. She gets all <laughs> naked and he gets he gets up on it. He draws her and everything. Mm-hmm. And, it, oh, it's fun. Anyway. You can have a movie um, in the late 90s without somebody drawing somebody. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I put the dance orgy song from Matrix Reloaded. That doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> I hate that scene. I, I hate, hate it. that scene so much, too. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I, that's where you knew that movie officially sucked was when that scene comes up. Like it's all I, slow I, motion. Just, uh, I was just like, what the fuck is this movie now? <laughs> why is there a dance orgy yeah uh that's gonna do it for this week uh keep going to syncast presented by cinema sins on facebook we're also on cinema sins twitter music video since twitter uh we're on discord if you want to get on discord go to facebook and private message me and i'll give you a link there we're also on soundcloud uh that's gonna do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. A week from today, I will get the J&J. Nice. And my Black wife and is red, baby. giddy, man. My wife is ready to sit down at a Mexican restaurant and eat some fucking chips. Yeah. Because <laughs> we used to do that once a week, and we haven't done it in over a year. Do you have uh, a Blu-ray of Ben Stiller's The Heartbreak Kid? No. In that, it's a perfect outtake. I want to dub in the whole, like, cock me, cock me. Uh, from the heartbreak kid and like mm-hmm. jackhammer me and all Pile that drive stuff. Me. <clears throat> yeah, Pile drive me. Uh, cock me, cock me. And he's like flopping around like a fish. It's so great. Minchie doesn't he say like I'm pretty sure I am cocking you or something like that? The other day, because somebody randomly was was like, "Do you are you do you think you'll ever do the ninth gate on?" You know, <laughs> I went and ordered it, but I told yeah. that I told that dude I was like, "That's kind of random." um the ninth gate and i was like i don't know if yeah. anybody ever talks about that movie but i ordered it anyway i got it today yeah um, it's a have you seen it no i've never seen it the reason That's why a good movie. the reason why i've never seen it is because it was a weird movie that did not uh they had to have had some sort of studio um um argument with regal at the time because i remember having trailers for ninth gate everywhere and then suddenly they were like pull all your trailers for the ninth gate and <laughs> the movie. but what's weird is the ninth gate i remember the studio being artisan which did blair witch project mm-hmm. um I, I don't know how artisan was in any position to tell regal what money even though they did blair witch project i mean that's the only movie that they did at the time really that was a big hit so I don't know how they had the the clout to be like we want ninety nine percent of the opening weekend box office for this majestic movie we've made. You called dicks. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's directed by one of the most uh, polarizing figures in 
uh, all of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, it's it's actually good. Frank. It could have been that. Really it could have been something like that. For all I know, that that's the reason why they pulled it was that we're not going to play any Roman Polanski shit here in Regal because you know Regal's based in Knoxville and they're very conservative and all sorts of shit. So this we can't use any of this. So we no. Should <laughs> it's a it's a funny thing. The, today I was uh, going through some YouTube clips and everything, and they get on. Um, I get on a like a behind the scenes of trading places. And, uh, and, and so it's like a 16 minute thing. Everybody's talking about the movie back in the day and, uh, Dan Aykroyd. I'm like, there's no way that people would talk this way. Now. I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis gives a shit because she was very open about like what she did in trading places and everything. But Dan Aykroyd's like, He's like, uh, I really like Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. He, she, she really like brought her, her, uh, you know, she brought that body, and that uh that, that skin that face that beauty uh she brought a lot of other things to it too but i'm just saying it's it's, it's a movie's better with with uh with uh you know uh it's more well-rounded if you know what i mean but you know oh like bullshit like that and i was just like yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't uh do this interview like this today <laughs> body <laughs> fucking hey i'll sit hey, there man. going i'll sit there going i'm i'm not like terribly offended by this it's just it's jaw-dropping to see a, 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 an answer like this <laughs> when a man um, gets a ghost blow job uh he can say some shit that's true